Thank you, Pastor Jason. It's good to be with you. And if you weren't here in Sunday school, <clears throat> on the back table, all the books are $5. They're normally $10. I'm giving you a special uh, Easter spring season discount, $5 on all the books. Um, this one really good, <clears throat> The Case for Jesus the Messiah by John Ankerberg. And then um, we have these little magazines back there. These are free. Next to this, you'll see a sign-up sheet if you'd like to receive our monthly newsletter. <clears throat> and if you um, put your email on there, I will sign you up for my <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> my uh, email blast that goes out about once a week. Uh, here's a little brochure and more of our ministry. We're headquartered in St. Louis. I'm the area uh, representative. Uh, Midwest Messianic's been around for about 90 years. Reaching Jewish People for Jesus the Messiah. If you missed Sunday School, you can download the message or the book, the lesson on, uh, pick up this little card and they'll give you information how to, you can download it from Amazon. And again, we have these little tracks. These little uh, postcards are actually gospel tracks. <clears throat> Very beautifully printed. Short gospel message on the back. You're welcome to take those and use those. And I think that covers uh, everything on the back table. If we go to our first slide in the PowerPoint uh, up on the screen there, <clears throat> just before we get into Jesus the Messiah, you bring that. Yeah, there's uh, my family. Uh, my wife and I have uh, five daughters and a son, so I'll be praying for my son and I. And. Uh, my oldest daughter on the far right there has uh, been to on a number of mission trips and has graduated from a Bible school. And then my wife was a graduate of Bob Jones. His pastor went to Bob Jones. And um, uh, my daughter right below, my wife, the red hair, uh, went to Moody Bible Institute. And then to the left of her, uh, Mariah went to Trinity. And to the right of her, uh, Rasha, uh, Liz just graduated from Word of Life. And my son just graduated from Word of Life. And then the far left, my daughter, Jen, actually went to Bob Jones for one semester, couldn't hack all the rules, so <laughs> she's uh, uh, going to go back to Word of Life and uh, be working as a cook there. So it's really neat to see the, uh, the kids uh, moving on uh, with the Lord. Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to uh, Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> and this morning as we look at uh, Jesus in Passover, we want to look at uh, the very first Passover and how it was celebrated and then how Jewish people celebrate Passover today and how Jesus celebrated the Passover. And you know, Passover is the longest-running feast. For some 3,600 years, Jewish people have been celebrating it. And, you know, uh, we're celebrating Easter. Easter and Passover sometimes coincide, sometimes they don't. Uh, for, did you know, though, that the, for the first 300 years of church history, Passover and Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, was always on exactly the same time because Jesus died on Passover and then he arose from the dead on another Jewish feast called the Feast of First Fruits. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 23. The Feast of First Fruits was always the day following the Sabbath during the week of Passover, and that's when Jesus arose, and he is the first fruits of them that rise from the dead. But you know, uh, years ago in the early church, there were some church leaders that were kind of anti-Semitic and didn't like Jewish people, so they changed uh, it from Passover to Easter, and uh, Easter, it's on a solar calendar, Passover is on a lunar calendar, and so sometimes they coincide uh, sometimes they don't, but originally they always did. In Exodus chapter 12, let's look at the very first Passover. 
And uh, verse 2, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month. Speaking of the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 5, your lamb should be without blemish, a male of the first year. Take it from the sheep or from the goats. Keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door posts of the houses wherein they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh and that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herb they shall eat it. And then down in verse 13, when God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the name Passover. So in the very first Passover, what did they have to eat? Well, they had the lamb and the unleavened bread, and the bitter herb. That was it, right? Well, as you look up here, I've got quite a few other things. I've got this uh, plate. This Jewish people call it a Seder plate. Seder means the order. It's the order of service. And I'll explain these elements on here. But a lot of this was added after 70 A.D. And what happened in 70 A.D. is the Romans came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and that really changed the celebration of Passover uh, to what it is today. So if we go to our next slide, there you can see uh, a picture of the Seder plate. So let's talk about how Jewish people celebrate Passover today, because it's much different than what it was thousands of, of years ago. That Years ago it was very, very simple. Today it's, it's much more uh, involved. And Passover, it's celebrated in the homes, and the families meet together, the father who usually leads the Passover, will sit at the head of the table. Women and children sit around the table. But I want you to notice there there is always a special chair set aside. And this is called the chair of Elijah. Now on that chair we have the little hat that the Jewish men wear. It's called a yarmulke or a kippah. And on the chair we have uh, the prayer shawl. And this is worn by the Jewish men. When they go to the synagogue to pray, and you notice the, the fringes here, these are called tzitzits. Jesus would have worn fringes on his garments. Remember when the woman who had an issue of blood, she said, if I may but just touch the fringe of his garment. This, she would have touched the tzitzits, the fringes. And um, then they also, uh, there's a, here a phylactery, this one worn on the forehead, there's another one they wear on the left arm next to the, with the box next to the heart. And if you were to um, cut this little box open, inside of it you'll see a little piece of scripture all rolled up, written in Hebrew. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then it says, Write these commandments on your forehead. Inscribe them on your heart, write them on the doorposts of your home. And so that's why the Jewish people put the scripture in these boxes, in the forehead and the heart. And then um, if you go to a Jewish home, you'll see a little box like this called a mezuzah. They put on the doorpost inside is the little scripture. I think God meant uh, probably more about, you know, meditate and apply it and do it rather than literally, right? <laughs> so why do they have this special chair? This special chair has a place setting. It has a wine goblet filled with wine, but nobody ever sits here and nobody drinks from it. And it's called the, the chair of Elijah, and it comes from Malachi 
chapter 4 and verse 5. Turn your Bible to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 4. And verse, I believe, verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4. I guess I should have bookmarked it, huh? <laughs> verse 5. Behold, I send you Eliahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the rabbi, or you know, the Jewish people understand that before the Messiah comes, Elijah would come and prepare the way for his coming. Now, we believe that the Messiah has already come, right? So who was Elijah? John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, preparing the way for his coming. But since most Jewish people, they do not believe the Messiah has come yet, they're still waiting for him. That's why they have the special chair uh, for Elijah. So, um, <clears throat> so we think about the things that are on the Seder plate, this plate here, there is a bunch of greens, usually it's like parsley, and they will dip this in salt water and eat it. The salt water reminding them of the tears that were shed in Egypt, you know, for 400 years, Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And um, this also reminds them of the hyssop that was used in applying the blood. If we go to our next slide, God told Israel and the Jewish people, oh, I'm sorry, go back, uh, it comes later, they uh, were to take a branch called hyssop and dip it in blood, and they put some on the right posts, the left posts, and the cross piece. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this uh, little parsley reminds them of the hyssop that was used in applying the blood. And then on the table, they have horseradish. And in the original Passover, they also ate horseradish. Today, they have the same thing, the, the bitter herb. Is, uh, reminds them of the bitterness of slavery, the bitterness of bondage. And they have a tradition today that they will take the matzah, <clears throat> and they say you must dip it into the horseradish and eat it, and you must eat it until it brings tears to your eyes. It doesn't take very much, right? And uh, this reminds them of the bitterness and bondage. And then after they eat that, they will eat another <clears throat> mixture called haroseth. This is apples, nuts, cinnamon, raisin, all ground up and chopped up. And when you grind all that up, it looks like mortar. And this reminds them of the mortar that was used in making the bricks in Egypt. And it's very sweet and tasty. So it reminds them of the sweetness of freedom that came after the bitterness of bondage. And then they have on the Passover table an egg, a hard-boiled egg. And you say, whoa, what, the, what does an egg have to do with Passover? Well, you know what? The rabbis aren't really sure uh, what the egg has to do. They're not even sure how this got into the Passover, but they think this has something to do with the sacrifice <clears throat> in the temple. <clears throat> and then there is the shank bone of a lamb. Now, most Christians are very surprised when I tell them that at Passover, Jewish people don't eat lamb. What? God said, take that lamb, sacrifice, kill it. They don't eat lamb. They'll eat either chicken or roast beef. Now, the reason they don't eat the lamb is because the lamb <clears throat> had to be sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem. They don't have the temple in Jerusalem, and so uh, they will eat either the chicken or the roast beef. But if we go to our next slide, the, the lamb, of course, reminds us of <clears throat> the sacrifice of Jesus. It was on Passover that he was sacrificed for our sin. 
And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that at the time of Passover, in the days of Jesus, when they had the temple, tens of thousands of lambs would have been sacrificed in the temple. There would have been so much blood. There would have been like a river of blood flowing out of the temple. And it was a visual picture of how Jesus, the lamb, and his blood takes away our sin. 1 John 1, 7, it is the, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So if we go to our next slide. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it's interesting that the scripture tells us, you know, he was on the cross for six hours, from 9 a.m. to 3 in the afternoon. And at 12 noon, right at midday, it says that darkness covered the whole earth. Well, as you know that this darkness was mentioned by three ancient historians in the time of Jesus. Dionysus, a, a Greek scientist, was living in Egypt at the time of this darkness, and he reported how the whole city of Areopolis became dark around 12 noon, and this was the year that Jesus, uh, time Jesus was crucified. Diogenes was a Greek scientist living in Egypt, wrote, uh, when he saw this darkness, he wrote, quote, Either God himself suffers at this moment or sympathizes with one who does. Isn't that an amazing statement? And he was exactly right. Jesus, God himself, the God-man, was dying on the cross for your sin and mine, and God the Father was sympathizing uh, with him. And Philagian, a Greek from Asia Minor, wrote in his book, The Olympias, that a great and remarkable eclipse of the sun, unlike any before, turned the day into night at the sixth hour. That's 12 o'clock noon, folks, exactly when the New Testament said uh, that it happened so that the stars were seen. So we go to our next slide. And then also, remember, after Jesus died on the cross at three in the afternoon, the scripture tells us that there was a great earthquake, Great and mighty earthquake. Well, this is also attested to by uh, secular historians. And in um, <clears throat> the Talmud, <clears throat> which is the rabbinic commentaries on the Torah, it tells us that there was a great earthquake. It's in Tractate Yoma 6.3. And it says that the middle light in the menorah, because of this earthquake, uh, the middle light went out. And it says that the heavy doors of the temple, it usually took you know, four or five men to swing these doors open. And that earthquake swung those heavy doors open in the temple. New Testament tells us the veil in the temple was written to, showing us that the way to God uh, was now open. And in the lintel, the top door over the doorway of the temple, that well, was a stone 30 feet long. It cracked and fell in that year. And it says, also finally in the, uh, the Talmud, again, the rabbinic commentaries, that the Azazel, which is the scapegoat, uh, the red ribbon around his horn stopped turning white. So what, what is that talking about? Well, uh, Passover is one of seven feasts that God gave to Israel. And then there was another one called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, that was not a feast. That was a fast day. God said, afflict your soul. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. <clears throat> and on that day, they had to bring two goats to the temple. And they would cast lots for those goats. And the one goat that was chosen was taken in the temple, sacrificed. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies. He could go in there only to the Holy of Holies only one day a year. And that was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
And he was sprinkled that blood on the cover of the mercy of the ark. The other goat, which was called Hazel, the scapegoat, was released into the wilderness, and it signified the carrying away of the sin of Israel. And a tradition developed over the years that they would tie a red ribbon around the horn of the scapegoat. And as that goat was being led away into the wilderness, the red ribbon would turn white to show that God had accepted the sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 1 says, Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be white as snow. Well, in the rabbinic commentaries, in the Talmud, now understand, these are written by rabbis who do not believe in Jesus. And it's written in there that 40 years before the temple was destroyed, the temple was destroyed 70 A.D., 40 years before, that's the exact year Jesus was crucified. In that year, the red ribbon around the horn of the scapegoat, it stopped turning white. And why? We no longer need the sacrifice of animals. We have the blood sacrifice of Jesus. His blood cleanses us from all sin. You know, another neat thing about the scapegoat, they brought the two goats on Yom Kippur. It beautifully represents how Jesus was sacrificed in our place. He was sacrificed. We're allowed to go free. But you know, also interesting, when um, Jesus was crucified, remember there was another man, Barabbas. Both of those two men, Jesus and Barabbas, stood before Pilate. Pilate says, hey, who should I take? They sacrificed Jesus. Barabbas was allowed to go free. That's another picture of the scapegoat. An interesting name about the name Barabbas. It's an Aramaic name. Bar means uh, son, Abba, the father. The name Barabbas literally means son of the father. So here you had Jesus, the son of the father, Barabbas, and Barabbas allowed to go free, Jesus sacrificed, we are allowed to go free, and Jesus was sacrificed for our sin in our place. Go to our next slide. And Josephus has an amazing thing. Again, it is from secular history, writing about the sacrifice and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Josephus writes, There was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he is a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as receive the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold, and these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. Go to our next slide. So, uh, the shank bone of the lamb on the Passover table reminds us of the Passover lamb. Today, Jewish people don't celebrate uh, or don't have a Passover lamb because they don't have the temple. But this, the Passover lamb, points to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and his sacrifice in nine different, at least nine different ways. You see eight here, we'll get to the ninth one. But the first way is that the lamb was marked out for execution. God told Israel to take that lamb on the 10th day of the month, and they had to keep it until the 14th day when they would then sacrifice it. So the lamb was set aside. He was marked out. For execution. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the 10th day and is then sacrificed on the 14th 
day. They had to watch that lamb, and he rides in on, on the four uh, triumphal entry. Number three, the lamb had to be without blemish. Jesus with, without sin, without blemish. He was sacrificed in the prime of his life. Jesus struck down in the prime of his life. The lamb had to be sacrificed in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so it is, just outside the city walls, Jesus the lamb was sacrificed in Jerusalem. He was sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, as you had up in, uh, before the church service. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. It was on Passover he died. Not a bone was broken. They broke the bones of the men on the other side of him, but not a bone of him was broken. And the, the lamb had to be sacrificed by the priest. It was the high priest of Israel that delivered Jesus up to Pilate. And then go to our next slide. Also read in Leviticus or Hebrews 9 that um, you know on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it there to make atonement for sin, for the sin of all Israel. Well, Hebrews 9 tells us that after Jesus dies on the cross, he entered the Holy of Holies, not here on earth, but in heaven. And not with the blood of bulls and goats, with his own blood to make atonement, not for one day, but forever for all time. So we're going to the next slide. So this is the Temple Mount uh, as it looks today. And you know what? There's a movement in Israel to try to, uh, to rebuild the temple. And it's kind of interesting, you know, about a year ago that President Trump said he was going to move uh, the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv up to Jerusalem. Israel is the only country in the world where our capital was not in the capital of that country. And when President Trump moved the embassy up there, the Orthodox Jews got very excited and they said, hey, Trump's a big builder. Maybe he's going to help us rebuild the temple. And did, you know, did you know that they have now minted a coin uh, in Israel? And on one side of the coin is the head of Cyrus. Who is Cyrus? Cyrus was the Persian king. Remember the Jews went in captivity to Babylon and the Persians conquered them? It was the Persians who allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple and start making sacrifices again. On the other side of the coin is the head of Donald Trump. <laughs> and they've even named a street after him. They say, hey, maybe Trump's going to help us rebuild the temple. Go to our next slide. This is the temple uh, as it looked in the time of Jesus that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Go to our next slide. Um, <clears throat> there was a group in Israel that started in 1988 called the Temple Institute. You can get on the, you know, Google the Temple Institute you can, in Jerusalem, Israel. You can see all this stuff. They are making preparations to rebuild the temple and make sacrifices again. And why? It's because, you know, they reject the sacrifice of Jesus. And so that's why they're trying to do this. We understand we don't need those sacrifices anymore. But here they have remade uh, the garments of the high priest. Go to the next slide. This is the stone altar on which the sacrifices will be made. Go to the next slide. This is the golden menorah. They've, uh, you know, bronze overlaid with pure gold. Next slide. In the middle there is the uh, altar of incense. That's wood overlaid with pure gold. So they are spending literally millions and millions of dollars to remake uh, all of these uh, articles, these items, hundreds of different dishes and spoons and utensils for use in the temple. Go to the next slide. Uh, the table of showbread, wood overlaid with gold. Next. 
Now, um, they're not trying to make the ark. They've done looking for the ark, digging for the ark. Uh, years ago, the Orthodox Jews were digging under the Temple Mount. Um, of course, we all know that Indiana Jones found it you know, in Washington somewhere. They don't really have to have it, though, to rebuild the temple. In fact, they didn't even have it in the time of Jesus. But uh, I can tell you, at this point, all the preparations have been made. Everything is set for the rebuilding of the temple. And um, turn it in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's an interesting prophecy about the rebuilding of the temple in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because um, this, the New and Old Testament tells us that the Jewish people, they are actually going to rebuild their temple, but this temple is not going to be pleasing to God and is actually going to be desecrated by the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 He's talking about here about the man of sin who is the Antichrist. It says that he is going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Folks, this has never happened in the past. This is future. This is going to happen in the coming seven-year tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and set himself up as a god and uh, begin persecuting Israel and the Jewish people. And the point is for him to be able to do the, to set himself up in the temple, there has to be a temple. And right now there isn't, but um, I think you've seen from the slides, everything is set and ready to go for the rebuilding of the temple. And that really gets me excited. That tells me, hey, Jesus is coming back very soon. Amen. Go to our next slide. Here they're actually, in the last few years, the Orthodox Jews in Israel have actually sacrificed animals for Passover. They haven't done it on the Temple Mount, but they call these practice sacrifices on, on other places uh, of Jerusalem. So next slide. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> let's look at how Jesus celebrated Passover in Luke chapter 22. Luke twenty-two fifteen. And he said unto them, With desire, desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For the, so the Last Supper, as you see pictured up here, Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, was a Passover meal. And by the way, do you see uh, anything wrong with that painting there? Something uh, culturally, uh, cultural error, <laughs> inaccuracy? Yeah, they probably would have been sitting on the floor, but there's something a little more egregious, uh, something that would have been anathema, something Jesus never or a disciple never ever would have done. In fact, it actually would have been a sin for them to, do, to, to eat. What are they, you see the kind of bread they're eating there? It's not unleavened bread. This is uh, unleavened bread. God said to Israel, during those seven days, you had to eat unleavened bread. And what's on their table? Uh, thick Wonder Bread, right? <laughs> but we'll let that slide for now, right? So um, he said, verse 16, I will not eat of it anymore until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to eat this again until I return and set up my kingdom. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this divided among you, for I will not drink of the fruit of vine until the kingdom of God will come. And so the uh, wine or grape juice 
represents the blood of the Messiah, and Jesus is not going to drink it until he returns. Look at verse 20. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup in the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, during Passover, Jewish people drink four cups of wine. And here we can see two of them in the gospel. We're not sure when all four were were added, but here we see uh, two of them. But then verse 19, and he took bread. Now, what kind of bread did he take? The matzah cracker, the unleavened bread, not the thick loaves of bread. Uh, The thick loaves of bread, they would put leaven in the bread to make it rise and puff up. Leaven in Scripture is a type of sin, pride. It puffs us up. Unleavened is a uh, a picture of purity and holiness. So Jesus took the unleavened bread and broke and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, at the time of Jesus... There would have been a lamb on the table because they had the, the temple and the sacrifice. He doesn't pick up the lamb because he is the lamb. He picks up the bread and he says, this represents my body. Now, <clears throat> on the Passover table is this little book called the Haggadah. Haggadah means the story. It tells the story of Passover. And Jewish people, are, they read through this whole book for Passover And um, one of the things it tells them to do at the Passover is have on the Passover table a matzah holder. It's called a matzatosh. And this one I have here, there are three compartments in it, and they put a piece of matzah in each compartment. All right, about halfway through the Passover, it tells the person leading it to reach into the middle compartment, not the top or bottom, it's always the middle, take the middle piece of matzah out, Break it in half. Replace half of it in the matzotosh. You take the broken half and you wrap it in a cloth and you go into another room and you hide it. You continue on with the Passover ceremony. Continue reading through the book. Then you come to the Passover meal. You eat the Passover meal. Chicken, roast beef, vegetables, a dessert. After the meal, all of the children, 13 years old and under, run into the other room, and they're looking for this special piece of matzah called the afikoman. And it's looking for, it's called the search for the afikoman. Whoever finds it, brings it to the person leading the Passover, the father, he'll give them usually some money for it, and he will unwrap it and break a piece off, small piece off, and eat it. He will pass it around the table, and each person must break a piece off and eat it, very similar to what we do in communion, because the rabbis say, you have not had Passover until you have personally eaten this little piece of matzah from the afikoman. Now, if we were to go to the rabbis and say, you know, Rabbi, who, how, where, how, what does this mean? How did this get into the Passover? Again, you know what? The rabbis aren't sure how this ceremony got into the Passover. Well, why three matzahs? You know, why not two, four, six? They're not sure why three, but they'll say, well, three could represent Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or the three branches of Judaism, or the priests, Levites, and high priests. Well, why is it always the middle matzah? It's never the top or bottom. It's always the middle matzah is broken and wrapped and hidden and brought out. The rabbis will say, this is a game for the kids. Passover is a long, you know, it's usually three or four hours long. The kids get tired and bored. 
kind of like right now, you know. <laughs> this kind of keeps them interested in the Passover. Well, you know, you call this the afikoman. What does that word mean? And they'll say the word afikoman means dessert, and this is our dessert, even though they have another dessert later, okay? Does that really fit the symbolism uh, going on here? I would like to offer you what we'd call a messianic Jewish interpretation of the symbolism by Jewish people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. All right, the three matzahs in one pouch beautifully represents the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are three, and yet they are one. Okay, the middle matzah, which represents Jesus the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead, is taken out and broken because he's broken for our sin. Now, the thing about matzah is it must be striped. You can see the stripes on it. It becomes striped as it's baked, and it must be striped or you cannot use it for Passover. Reminds us Isaiah 53, and with his stripes we are healed. And before they bake it, they have a little instrument. They run over it. It pokes tiny little holes in it. I don't know if you can see the little holes in it. But Zechariah 12.10, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And just as the body of the Messiah was broken, striped, and pierced, they then took his body down from the cross and was wrapped in linen grave clothes. And his body was hidden in the belly of the earth three days and nights. But he did not stay dead. He arose from the dead. And while he died for all, you must personally receive him. And personally uh, had Passover until you personally receive him. And the final thing, the word afikoman. Very interesting word because everything in this book is in the Hebrew language except that one word. Afikoman is actually a Greek word that means he came. Isn't that a beautiful picture? of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Jewish people around the world celebrate Passover like this, and they don't know why. And really, in a way, they're, they're honoring the death and resurrection of Jesus without even knowing it. And that doesn't mean they're believers, but God gets the glory. Well, I hope you've seen very clearly this morning Jesus in Passover. If you're here today and you have never personally received him as your savior you have never personally put your faith in him you've never personally asked him to save you i hope you'll do that today as pastor comes and closes us out thank you